0: So you, you know, and I, I know our teenagers will know this too because of school, but when a deadline is approaching, things change for you, right? Like the way you prioritize things and, and the, way, the way your life even begins, the rhythms begin to change when a deadline shows up. Like when I was a sophomore in college, we had British Lit. It was 9 o'clock, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Not a big fan of the class, but it was one of those English classes you, you, you got to take. And the professor said, hey, you're going to have to read one of like eight or nine different books by British authors. And she gave the list. She said, it's just, it's going to be a a random drawing of what book you get. And I'm looking at the list and there is absolutely nothing that I'm interested in except for the book Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. I thought, I'd read that. that. That seems pretty interesting. So after class, I waited and I walked up to the desk and I told her, I said, hey, I'm just gonna have a moment of honesty with you. Like, I'll read Frankenstein. That's all I'm saying, right? I mean, I'll let her, I wasn't going to tell her, I wasn't going to read the other books, but I wanted her to at least like, get the thought that I'll actually read this Like, you, if you signed it to me. And she said, well, it's all random. And I was like, okay. And so the next class period we came in, I was assigned Frankenstein, yes, because it pays to go to talk to a teacher or a professor about it. And so the, the, the deal was, you were supposed to read whichever book you were assigned, get a journal, and journal about what you read for like 30 days. Frankenstein is not that big of a book, but the, the, the goal was for you to read it and process what the writer was saying and, and the story. And so I did what every other college student did about two days before it was due, realized, okay, I gotta, I gotta read this book. So I got a journal, and I got like three different colors of pens, like blue ink, black ink, and even a, so that when I wrote in the journal, it would look like it was different days, right? Was trying to outsmart the professor. But as it came down, about a day and a half until like 9 o'clock Thursday is due date. And I've got to turn this journal in. And so because that deadline was there, everything kind of began to change for the 36 hours prior to that. I had figured out, like went through the book and divided it into 30 equal parts. you know, And, and okay, I've got to read these 10 pages and write, I read these 10 pages and write and these 10 pages, so I broken down. And then, I mean, I went after my calendar. Like, okay, I've got... I've got to do these four chapters. I have to have them read and done before I go to lunch. And then after lunch, uh, I've got to read these four chapters before I go to that 2.30 class Or you know, and had it all down. And so as people were coming in that, that evening, going into that, that deadline approaching, people would come and go, hey, do you want to go to the basketball game? Yeah, I'd love to, but I can't. Had you asked me four days ago, yes, I would have and probably did. But now the deadline's here, and so now everything has shifted in my priorities. Basketball sounds like fun. Can't go do it. Hey, do you want to go out and go over to somebody's house tonight? I would love to, but I can't because I've got to read chapter 13 through 17. And so everything began to drive towards that deadline, and all the things that weren't important kind of fell off to the wayside. And see, you've probably lived an experience like that. About six years ago, a guy named Kerry Shook, he's a pastor in the Woodlands, wrote a book that was called One Month to Live. We're not, I haven't read the book, we're not doing it, just same, same idea uh, in this series that he had. But as he wrote that book and people started doing the, the devotional and journey through it, the idea was the same thing. To help you focus through, it's, it's a morbid thought. Like what would you do if you had 30 days to live? How would your life change if you knew you had one month until today, till you met Jesus face to face? How would you live differently then, than you do now. That's a, that can be a morbid thought, but it also is a thought that helps us streamline and start thinking about what really, what really matters in life. What is it that is really a priority that we would zone in on and let the other things go to the side? So I started reading what some people said. And so the next three weeks, we're going to look through what people said they would do and what they say were important and compare them to what Scripture says is important. And it's interesting that what I was reading was not Christians answering the question, but how much of what they said was important to them really matched up, I mean, they innately knew some of the things that God would say was important. So, we'll jump into those over the next couple weeks, but one of the things that people said was they, would, they if they had one month to live, they would, go, they would go places they'd never been before. That makes sense, right? Like, you'd go, I mean, I, I'd want to travel, and I would just put it all on the credit card, sell off all my, get my stuff all the way, put it on the credit card. Da- Oops, oh, well, too bad. You know, who, who's going to pay that bill? And I get to see the world. I get to see everything and travel. That's what I'm thinking. Like, where would I want to go? And th- there are some places that would be pretty cool. I would love to see the Northern Lights. Y'all, are, Anybody ever seen them, like in real life? Wouldn't that be cool, though? Like, And I know with my luck, I'd get there and they wouldn't work that day. The switch would be flipped or something like that. Uh, but I mean, I, you see these pictures. I'm like, man, that is so incredible. The Aurora Borealis, I'd love to see that. Um, I would love, I think it'd be so cool to see the pyramids. Like, it's not something you're just going to travel like on a vacation to Egypt, really not a vacation destination, but to sit like, you know, at the base of the pyramids and be able to look up and think about h- how those things were built so many years ago would be pretty incredible. Niagara Falls, I mean, cool place. I'd love to see that. One day I will when I do some more baseball touring, that'll be on the list. Where, where would you want to go? If you had to travel and you went, hey, you got one month to live. Where? An African safari. An African safari, yeah, that'd be. Okay, would you scuba dive it? Oh, yeah. Okay. All 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> Never even come up for air. Where would you guys, where would you go? Israel. Israel, okay, yeah. I thought, I thought about that and I, I, that was actually, I thought that would be, after I thought of those places, that'd be the the place that, that I want to go, to be able to see like where Jesus walked and to see those things. That'd be really cool. Um, wasn't just places. People talked about, they said if I had one month to live ex- experiences. That was the other thing they, they'd talk about. I'd want to do some things that I'd never done before. One lady said this, I loved it. She said, I've always been afraid of skydiving, uh, but if I had one month to live, I'd go skydiving because if it didn't work out, I'd only lost a couple of days. I thought there's some there's some sound logic in that, right? <laughs> like, and so that made me start thinking, like, like, when Jay says Great Barrier Reef, I would have no desire to go scuba diving, but if I had one month to live, I thought I would like to get in one of those, like, submarines, you know, those glass kind of ones, like, like this one, and like, I, I still wouldn't even go very far out, you know, but just to see, like, the, all the landscape and life that lives under the ocean would be really cool. Would not do that now, because I would be afraid that I'd be the one that got stuck, or something like that, but Again, like that lady, well, just a couple extra days, whatever. That, that would be a cool experience I would love. I, I was dreaming. What, what, would you, what would you do? I'd love to be at at and Stadium where the San Francisco Giants play and like stand in the, in the batter's box with Madison Bumgarner, who's like, my favorite pitcher, and see what it would be like to see a, a major league fastball and embarrass yourself trying to swing a bat at that. That, that would be, be kind of cool. I, I've, I, yeah, I, I, we won't talk about my church softball days, which was bad enough. But it'd be just a cool experience, right? To just end to hang out with them, meet them. What experiences would like? What would you want to do if you had one month to live? We done it all already. Say, know, nothing. Meet Peyton Manning. Okay, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Okay. okay, travel the country to see your family or to spend your last month with your family. So, so let's just lean that direction. Because Here's the crazy thing. When I started thinking about all of this, I immediately started thinking, where would you go? What would you do? Because that's what people are talking about. And I, and I said I would want to go to the Holy Land. That would have been on the like, top of my list. But then I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, In a way, it's kind of silly to think, in my last 30 days, I would have spent time walking around the places that Jesus walked, when in 30 days from that experience, I'm going to see Him face-to-face where He is now. And we start thinking about it, you think, that's a little bit ironic. Like, I'm about to be with Him in His creation, heaven, that's going to be better than Niagara Falls and than the pyramids and better than the whole, and I'm going to see him face to face, but I went, you know, I would want to st- stand by some rocks that he might or might not have walked on. All of a sudden, we start thinking about the reality of eternity. It changes what's really important. In fact, what you're going to see in the next couple weeks is we dive into what other people feel, and maybe as you ask your kids, it's in the, in the app, you use the app, one of the questions is, you know, what would you do? Where'd you go? What'd you experience? I think what you'll find out is what other people say. Outside of experiences and places, almost every response somebody said of how they'd spend their last month revolved around people. And really what I think they're saying here is not really places and experiences, but what people are saying is I, I'd want to make the most of that time. I'd want to make it count. And so what we're going to discover, I think, is, is, especially as we walk through Scripture here in a minute, we're going to look at a bunch of different verses. That When the Bible talks about time, it talks about primarily its brevity and the importance in which we use it. You can go back to, a, we, we, I won't have you flip, I'll tell you some stories, and then we'll look at some passages of Scripture. Jesus shares a parable, and the parable is about, is about your resources, about your stuff, and, and being generous towards God. But he tells the story of a of a rich guy who has this bountiful harvest. The guy has so much food, that fills up a storehouse. And then in the story, the guy has so much food that he goes and builds another storehouse and fills it up and then sits back and says, hey, I don't have to do anything. I can, just, I can just rest, I can hang out, I can relax. And again, the point of the story is about being generous towards God and generous towards people rather than being a hoarder. But in the midst of the story, what God says, he says, hey, you fool, you don't know it, but your life is gonna be required of you this very day. And you took all this stuff and tried to to, try to hoard it up for yourself, but you're not even gonna be able to experience it. You should have rather been good or been generous to God and with people. But in the midst of this parable, what we see is this truth that we all know so well. Time's fleeting. Time time does not last forever. We We all have a time where we will meet Jesus face to face. And and what we do in between us being born and us meeting Jesus really matters. In life of eternity, and Jesus says, Hey, time is short. You, you, just, you just don't know. Moses, if you go to Psalm 90, you don't have to flip there. In Psalm 90, Moses writes this, this song, this poem, and he says to God, he says, Teach us to count our days so that we may have wisdom. So we we have a wise heart. Moses realized, hey, I don't have forever. And these days matter. And I want to count them and make sure that they're moving me towards wisdom and that I'm doing the right things with that time. Paul writes several letters, several churches, actually talks about making use of time in two different letters that he wrote to two different churches. In Ephesians 5, I'll just read it to you, you know, flip there. You can go ahead and flip to Colossians. I want you to read that with me. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And he says this to the Ephesians, making the best use of the time (laughs) because the days are evil. Paul says, hey, time's short. The days are evil. Be wise because you've got to use what little time that you have. You've got to make the best use of it. And then he writes a letter to the Colossians and he, he uses the same phrase about making the best use of your time. And I want us to read that in, in Colossians chapter 4. He's finishing out this letter. He's giving them kind of like his final points, his application. And in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Here's that phrase again, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When Paul talks about time, he says, hey, use it wisely. Make Wise decisions. He says, hey, time is short. So when you're around other people, and that's why I wanted to read this passage because I think we're going we're gonna to see something really important. There's a theme through Scripture. He says, when you use time and you've got to, you don't have a limitless supply, you need to use it wisely when you're around other people. And he says, the way you talk to them and, and what you say, it needs to be seasoned with salt because you only have these limited moments to make an impact on people because there will come a time when we face eternity. Face to face. We look at one more passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 16. And these verses don't all flow together. I'm picking some so we can just see some snapshots throughout Scripture. But in Luke 16, we're going to read a generous portion here. Jesus tells another story. In verse 19. He says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He went to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus, the poor man, at his side. And he called out from hell, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus and like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Look at verse 27. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And some fantastic foreshadowing of Jesus' is Last days. It's a story. And in this story, we get some pictures of what the afterlife separated from God looks like. Here's the thing that stands out to me. It's a very clear picture. If the rich man had been given a reprieve for 30 days, if knowing what he knew in the story, he had known 30 days before he passed, what would his life look like? Very well, you know he do, right? He would have done what he begged Abraham to do in the story. He would have ran to his brothers to say, listen, there's an eternity in front of us. There's a heaven and there's a hell, and we need to make sure that we're on the right side of eternity. That would have been his compelling passion in his life because he's experienced what comes in eternity. He would want to make a difference before people got there. He would have used that time and said, you know what, if I've got 30 days left, I've got to find my five brothers. I've got to do everything I can to convince them to, to go the ways that God has for them as opposed to doing what I was doing and what they've been doing, which we assume they're not walking in the ways of the Lord because the rich man wants Abraham to send Lazarus to them. Time is fleeting. Eternity matters. And what I suggest to us is this. Is that deadlines, deadlines help us see what's really important in life, and there's nothing more important than somebody knowing Jesus? Nothing. And if we, if we had the opportunity, which we don't, to know I have 30 days left, what we would discover and what we'll discover throughout the rest of this course, is that we need want to make the most of that time, and that people matter. Let me ask you this: Would, would you rather would you rather see? The Grand Canyon? Or see the maker of the Grand Canyon? That's an easy question. If there was a deadline that lifted priorities up, would you rather see the Grand Canyon or make sure that your friends and your family and your neighbors and the people that you've shared life with saw the maker of the Grand Canyon as well? Deadlines make priorities come to the forefront for us and there's nothing more important than someone knowing Jesus. So, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess. Well, I'll tell you that story in a second. Let's just talk about what we do. Now, first thing, I talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. We have to pray. We've we got to make a prayer list of people. If, if, if a priority is that people know Jesus, we need to make this prayer list and start praying for people to know Christ. I said this. Two weeks ago, Jesus loves your friends and family more than you do. He does. The Holy Spirit's already at work in the lives of people that you and I love. And so as we start thinking about, hey, what really matters? Is there anything more important for my life to be turned towards than for people to know Jesus? As we start kind of leaning into that, Jesus is already at work. He believes that more than you do. He went to the cross so that he could restore a relationship with them. And so our first thing that we do is we start praying for people because in reality, there's only really two things we can do. We pray and we share. Because the truth is the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. Holy Spirit is the one who saves people. You, you can't save somebody. You, you really you can't really even, we talk about leading someone to Christ. You, you can't really do that. You can share, but the Holy Spirit is the one who does the spiritual transformation and the work, which is good news. Because what that means is that as you go share, if somebody rejects you, if somebody goes, I'm not interested, they're really not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting what work he was already doing in their life and they're saying, I don't want a part of it. So you're off the hook, but you're also not the person who's like, like saving people. But we have this, this job to pray and to share. That's our job. Pray for people and to invite them into this relationship, into this story that God already has for them because we don't know we don't know if it's 30 days 30,000 days or three days i was in high school my brothers in the room we both had a friend named libby whedon and uh libby was a year older than me and uh lived right around the block from us. We could walk to each other's house and, and we became good friends her senior year, my junior year. We had been friends before, <coughs> but became much better friends kinda as our <coughs> her senior year and my junior year happened. And so at the end of the, season, end of the school year, you had all these banquets and uh, club things and dinners, and, and it was traditional to take a, you know, a date. Well, she wasn't dating anybody, I wasn't dating anybody, so we kind of became each other's like, date to whatever event we had to go to. And so we became even better friends through that. She graduated, went to college. I graduated, went to college. Shortly after that, I I don't even know if she had finished college because the timeline eludes me a little bit. But we were, I I think I was still in college, early, early 20s. And I got the phone call. that She had gotten married, which is pretty cool. And they went to Mexico on their honeymoon. And on their honeymoon, she got sick from eating something or drinking something. I don't know what it was and was rushed back to the United States and passed away the week after she was married. And for a 20-something, that was like, that was jarring for me. Because I, I still believed that, you know, I was going to live forever, right? In your 20s, there's nothing going to stop you. And here it was, I was face-to-face with reality and eternity. And I remember going to that funeral and, you know, so many people there and, and it was, it, was, it was hard. It was difficult. And I would have never, never thought that there wouldn't have been plenty of time. Now, the good news is I, I know she was a believer. And we'd had spiritual conversations and things like that. I know that she's in heaven today. But I'm, I'm glad that, that I didn't have that regret of going, hey, I've got plenty of time when in reality I, I didn't. So we pray. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So you do it now if you've got a phone or you've got a piece of paper. Start, start making your list now. Who are the people around you in your life? Five people at least. Who are five people that you don't know if they're following Jesus or not? I, I, they may go to church. Fantastic. They may have been baptized as a kid. Wonderful. Five people that you don't know if they're following Jesus or not, and you just make a commitment to start praying for them every day. Praying that that, that God would begin to do this work in their life that would bring them to, to a point where you know and they know that they're a follower of Christ. So that's the first thing we've got to start doing. If people matter, then we've got to start praying for their salvation. Here's the second thing. We've got to start looking for opportunities to share. As we're praying, here's what's going to happen. As you pray, if you're diligent in that, you're going to start seeing God move in a way that will blow your mind. And it's going, to, it's going to make you uncomfortable at times. Because you're going, as I'm praying for this person, and the next time you see them, you, crazy things are going to happen. Like, like they're, going to, they're, going to, they're going to roll out the red carpet for you because the Holy Spirit's going to be at work, and they're going to go, hey, you go to church somewhere, don't you? And you're going to be like, what? You've never asked me that ever in my life. As soon as I started praying, you start seeing God moving in ways that you, weren't, you, you never recognized before. And as you, and then you start looking intentionally and start stepping into places. And I'm going to be honest, transparent. I'm terrible at this. Like this message is for me as much as it is for anybody else. I, I I've been praying for my neighbors diligently for a couple of years. You know how hard I mean not how hard you know how easy it is to walk across the street. And, and invite them to church or start up a conversation easy i haven't done that yet and it's because i've not been looking for those opportunities i pray for them and then i get home and i'm busy doing other things not focused on what god may be calling me to do or saying and so i confess that to you like i'm i'm terrible at this don't follow my lead follow this lead because <laughs> i'm, I'm going to try to do that too so I'm, i actually made a goal this year uh, before this year ends I, I say I made it this year. I made it a couple weeks ago. Before this, in, this year ends, to have those conversations with my neighbors. To start the conversation. See what God is doing. To see where it leads. Now, I'm intentional about it with my kids. You know why? My kids matter to me. Like, 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 like if you said, hey, what are you going to do the your last month? Kind of what was echoed back there. I want to spend it with my family. So I, I would be leaning on my kids. Just the other day, Emerson and I went on a dad-daughter date. And we went to the Thinkery in Austin, which is the kids' museum. And, and we've been a couple of times before, and she's getting to the point where she's probably about to age out of it. You know, at eight, kind of on the, on the top end of that. So I thought, I don't know if she's going to really want to do that. So I looked online, and they had like a science project that you could do. I thought, we'll do that. And it was, it was dissecting owl pellets. You know what owl pellets are? It is not owl poop, which is what I thought it was. I thought, this is going to be disgusting. Um... And they said, owl pellets, it is not owl poop. I said, oh, okay, it's not so bad then. They said, it's owl vomit. I like okay, well, that's equally as bad. Um, owls eat small animals. They can't digest bones and hair. And they cough it back up. And then you pay money to cut it open and see what's inside. They're small. They're not that big. Um, but we went and did that. It was kind of this cool experience. And walked through the thinkery. And then on the way back, I said, hey, we got to grab lunch. And she was headed to a birthday party. And I said, hey, we're dad-daughter dating. Where do you want to go to lunch? Totally your call. We'll go everywhere you want. And she said, McDonald's. And I said, seriously? And she said, yes. So we went to McDonald's. And I told her this as we were driving. I said, hey, when we get our food, I want to have a conversation about Jesus and and what you're thinking. We've had conversations on and off. So this was not the first one. We've had multiple conversations. That child can answer all the questions correctly. Uh, She is the most spiritually intuitive eight-year-old I know. To be fair, I don't know very many eight-year-olds, uh, wants to read her Bible, wants to pray, wants to be a part of the things of God, um, shares the gospel with people. And we like, in our, in our minds, we're like, well, it's kind of out of order. Like, you need to start, follow Jesus before you start inviting other people to follow him. Like, it, it's kind of, there's a, there's a pattern here. But she, I mean, she'll talk to people, tell people why they need to be a Christian, and so when I've asked her, like, you know, she, she's just said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. It's okay. And we haven't been pushing that at all. God's timing is me perfect. But I wanted to be able to lean in and have the conversation. So we sat down at McDonald's. I said, you, you said you're not ready. Tell me, like, I want to know why. Like, what, what is it that you think you're not ready for? And it's cute having a conversation with an eight-year-old. She goes, I just don't want to have any regrets. It's <laughs> so, okay. And I'm thinking in my mind, is she like thinking about like snorting cocaine or something like now? Like, what is an eight-year-old going to regret? Like she's thought, I want to date a bunch of guys before I settle down with Jesus. Like, I'm... <laughs> and so I asked her, I said, I said, oh, yeah, okay, I'm, uh, sure, like, what do you think you might regret? She goes, ah, I oh, don't know, I can't really explain it. I said, okay. She's not ready. Holy Spirit's still moving working. But you know what? We're going to have that conversation again. We're going to have it multiple times. Because if I had one month to live, she would be a priority. People matter. Start praying. We start looking for those opportunities. Even stepping out to have those conversations, which is the third thing we've got to share. We've got to invite people Into a relationship with Jesus Christ because people matter. Now, here's what many believers do. Many believers live this kind of evangelism strategy. This is what they think I'm just going to live my life for Christ. I'm going to to live for Jesus in a world that's that's not living for Jesus. And as I live for Jesus, my friends and my co workers and my neighbors are going to come to me and they're going to go, You're so different. What must I do to follow Jesus because you're so different, I want to be different. And we go, that's what I'm doing. That's my evangelism strategy. Well, let me ask you this. How well is that working? I mean, by show of hands. How many people had someone in the last three years approach you and go, you're so different. I want to know what's different. I I want to follow the Jesus that you follow. Right? That doesn't work that way. It's this, this quote that's been misattributed to Saint Francis of Assisi—he actually never said it—but "preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary." He actually never did say that, but that's a, you know, and uh, quote the people hang in their house and things. If you have that hanging somewhere in your house, just take it down, because it's terrible. Y- yes, we do want to live the gospel out in front of people, but but Scripture is clear. Time is short and people matter and we don't have enough time to just wait around and hope that somebody is intrigued by our lifestyle and and, and ask a question. We have to share the Gospel with people and then let our lifestyle be the evidence of what we're saying. It's the the apologetic behind our, our words. When we start saying, here's how Jesus changed my life, then they can go, yes, His life is changed. Therefore, I can give credence to this. I'd like to listen a little more. Where we have to share the gospel. Deadlines. If we had a month to live, that'd be a deadline. It shows us what's really important and there's nothing more important than somebody knowing Jesus. I'm going to read you this story because I, I can't tell it like it can be read. I just thought it was powerful. And I know this is a heavy type message. Wrote, she said, The suite next to our condo is a small studio. The neighbors who lived there when we moved in fit the profile, young, professional, and private. That's why I was surprised when the new guy moved in. He was older. He didn't work. He was pleasant enough, but also awkward. His place was a disaster. When I left my suite, I'd sometimes see into his. Laundry baskets were stacked from floor to ceiling. A trail of debris began at his door and continued down the hallway. I'd sometimes find his cart and his backpack outside his door. We've always wanted to hold a floor party. We didn't. We never invited our neighbor for a coffee. We'd make small talk in the hallway, but I never learned his name. On Monday night, I found police officers in the hallway. More police arrived and someone in a suit. Someone must have complained, I thought. The police must have called social worker. And then I heard them talk about the coroner. My neighbor died last weekend. I found his body on Monday. A police seal now secures his door. My neighbor is gone. So is the man who was killed by a falling tree limb in a local park last Friday. So is the man who was hit by a train near me early on Monday morning. Death surrounds me this week, even in a young community like Liberty Village. Nothing might have changed if I invited my neighbor for a coffee, but I would have known his name. I might have known his story. Now I only know him as the hoarder next door. And that's no way to know a neighbor. Time's short. Eternity matters. And here's what I will promise you. You will find more joy and more exhilaration in seeing a family member, a friend, or a neighbor breathe eternally for the first time than you will from a momentary skydiving experience. So this week, make that list. Five names. If you use the YAP to have conversations with your kids, which I hope you do, there's one that's for parents, not the one that we use in small groups. There's one for parents. Got a couple things. Got some ideas to do during the course of this series. Make your list with your kids. How powerful would it be? How powerful would it be if a parent had their kids' list of friends and was praying for the salvation of their kids' friends and their kids knew their parents were doing that? Wow. People matter. Eternity matters. Time's short. Let's pray and then we'll have some time to talk. Lord, a message like this is so, for me, hypocritical feeling. When I know there's people that I've missed opportunities to share the gospel with. So, Lord, I pray, really now, not for everybody in this room, but for me, that I'd be less task-focused, more people-focused. That my neighbors, family members, people I know that don't have a relationship with you would be a priority for me like it is for you. And I read the scripture and it says that you came to seek and to save the lost. And I get too busy to walk across the street. So Lord, I confess that. And I want to be different. Because I want to raise kids who love their friends enough that they would share Jesus with them. Lord, I know it starts with me. So I confess that. I ask for your power. The urging of your Holy Spirit this week to be more diligent. Lord, I pray that, that I have a story to tell. Next Sunday. Of a conversation that was had. Because I was faithful to pray and to share. I got to pray that we'd all have those stories as well. Amen.